So the last time I was here, uh, last semester, you guys were in the middle of midterms, and now you're about to go into finals. It seems I'm always here when stress is at its peak. Is that how it works? Are you guys starting to feel it? Is it, is it, is it on its way? Have you started to study, or you've just started to stress about studying? At what point are we on the stage yet? Are we just, just stress, just straight up stress? Absolutely, love it, thank you, good. I'm, not, I'm in good company, I like that. All right. Tonight, we are going to so sojourn through what it means to know the will of God. Uh, you have probably wondered at some point in your life what it means uh, to know God, to know what he's up to. You've probably wondered it for yourself or for your loved ones. From the big to the small, right? From the mundane to the important, we wonder what is God's will? We wonder what is God's will when we're picking a major, when we're picking a job, when we're picking a spouse or where to live, uh, when we're trying to buy a house. I had a friend call me this, this week and he was stressed out. He's in the middle of a situation trying to buy a house and he's not quite sure what to do. And he's been praying a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more than normal, right? Because, you know, stressful situation and he doesn't know what to do. He's at a point now where he needs to like... Mm, cut it off and break ties or like double down and commit and he doesn't know what to do. So he's been seeking uh, God's wisdom. He's been trying to figure out what God's will is for his life. Maybe your situation is different. Maybe you have uh, something else going on in your life. Don't know what that is, but I'm willing to bet at some point, if not now, you have wondered what the will of God is for your life. Are you with me, Southwestern? Okay, good. I hear that your theme this year has been the kingdom of God to me is, and then the speaker fills in the blank, right? This evening, I have come with the opposite. The kingdom of God is not the story of Jonah. Sometimes it can be helpful to explore something in the negative in order to gain a perspective, in order to find some sort of hidden insight that uh, we would not otherwise be able to see. And that's kind of the part of the idea behind the writing of the book of Jonah. It is a very different book from the rest of the 66. It doesn't fit the mold whatsoever. Uh, no other story, sorry, no other book of the Bible tells us a story about a prophet other than Daniel, and we're going to put that in a different category because it's apocryphal, and if you want to understand the, we can talk about that afterwards, but Jonah is different because it claims it starts, it starts off like a book of prophecy, but it quickly starts into a story about the prophet. Usually what happens is a prophet starts telling you what the word was that the Lord delivered to them. You read through all the other prophets, minor and otherwise, and this is what they do. It's the model. But Jonah doesn't do this. Jonah is different. So uh, let's take a look. You guys want to wander through with me tonight? Good. All right. Well, you have no choice. Well, I guess you could walk out the door. That's probably fair. Let's seek God's wisdom before we try to read the word. Good evening, Father. We are going to wrestle with the book of Jonah this evening, and we want to 
invite you to be a part of that process, to lead us in the direction of truth. We have come together this evening to understand more of who you are and what you are up to in our lives and in the lives of those, of, uh, those that are around us. Show up in this space as you have done so many times before, and because you have done it so many times before, we know that you will do this and more because we are asking in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right. Jonah, chapter one, verse one. Can we do it? Yes. Okay, good. All right. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, uh, son of uh, Amittai. So here's the thing. It starts off like all the other ones. Remember what I was saying just moments ago? You were here. He, uh, the, the author of Jonah starts off this book like all the others, but it quickly pivots. So it goes on and he says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach, to, preach, uh, preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah, verse 3, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Here's a couple of things you need to understand about this book. Tarshish is the edge of the known world. So when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, he was telling him to go in one direction, and Jonah goes as far as he possibly can in the other direction. He can't go further away from where God told him to go than to go to Tarshish. Tarshish. I practiced that, I'm telling you, at least 20 times before I came out here tonight. I knew I was going to mess it up. It is what it is. Tarshish, Tarshish. Uh, so this book has an awful lot of these extremes in it. If, if you were to look at the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, and a big picture of you, you would see all of these extremes. He runs as far away as he possibly can. He, um, he encounters sailors who are unbelievers who pray to God. He, of course, gets swallowed by the fish, which is what we all think of when we think of the story of Jonah. He, uh, he, even, um, he even preaches the shortest sermon that is quite possibly the most effective sermon ever. The book is filled with extremes. And the reason that it's filled with extremes is, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other people that are much smarter than me, is because the author of Jonah is trying to write satirically. It's Hebrew humor. Comedy and satire allow us to explore a subject or a topic in a way that we sometimes otherwise cannot. It gives us a license to explore a hidden truth about our humanity that we cannot admit to because, or that we can admit to, excuse me, because of the shield of humor. We are better able to look at it and to explore it. And it's still true to this day that when we listen to comedians talk about different topics, when we watch TV shows and we take in uh, 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 content from content creators, creators um, they regularly make sketches that over-exaggerate current events that allow us to peek further into the topics that make us feel so uncomfortable. Are you with me? Okay, that's what I think this author is trying to do. He's trying to say things in the extreme so that you will laugh at it. So that you will look at Jonah and be like, oh, what, what, what a terrible guy. This guy, he's, he's awful. And honestly, if you're taking at face value, Jonah is a horrible human being. He is. I'm sorry if that bothers you. I didn't write it. It's right there. 
And he's, he's a pretty bad person. We'll get into it. We'll look at the verses. You'll see what I mean. But you're supposed to laugh at him. It's supposed to let your guard down so that you'll maybe take in the story a little differently than if it had been told in a more serious tone. Jonah is written in the same... Uh, so, uh, so I already made that point. Let's go to verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind to, uh, on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Uh, God doesn't always need a storm in order to get your attention, but he's not above using one. He's perfectly happy sending a trial or tribulation into your life to grab hold of you, to shake you and get your attention. The story continues in verse 5 with the sailors. All the sailors were afraid of each other, sorry, were afraid, and they each cried out to their own God. And then they get to the point that they throw the cargo that was on their boat overseas. We're at the point now in the story where the storm that has come is so severe that they're willing to give up the money that they thought they might make off the cargo. It's a dire situation. We're at the point now in the storm where they're just trying to save their lives. Are you with me? Okay. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and he fell asleep. And the captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice and, uh, uh, of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, verse 7, Come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. And the lots fall on Jonah. Everything starts to point towards Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God, by the way. He's the one running from God, which is already weird. He's the one at the bottom of the boat, which is weird again. He's the one that's asleep during the storm, which is weird. And he's the one that's supposed to be praying, but the sailors are the ones praying. Do you see how weird and extreme the story is set up? So let's, first, let's, let's skip down to verse 10. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Jonah, what have you done? Why is this happening? Why, why, what, what, why is this happening to all of us? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to make the, uh, to make the sea calm for us? And then in verse 12, he says this, and it's so overdramatic. And by the way, this is Jonah passing the buck because he doesn't want to do it. Like he can totally throw himself over the boat. He can jump off the boat and into the sea, but he puts, he passes the buck on to the sailors and he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and then it'll be calm. He's passing on the responsibility and honestly, even the, 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 the uh, consequences of, of, his, of his death on to the sailors rather than him taking responsibility. He is not the right kind of guy. This isn't how a prophet is supposed to act. Do you see how you can kind of enter into the story? Are you seeing? It's over and over and over again. Instead, the men did their best to go uh, to row back to land because they were like, we're not going to throw him overboard. God's mad at him. Who knows what they're going to do, what he would do to us. But they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. So God like brings even more, more storm. And then they cried out to the Lord. This is what's interesting. Verse 14, who's praying to God now? The unbelievers not the prophet of God? Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then in verse 15, he says, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. 
At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice. And they were like, we are going to follow you. It's extremes. These unbelievers become the believers. And the prophet of God is acting like the unbeliever. Everything isn't operating the right way. It's, it's all ironic. You know what happens next in the story, right? This is the part of the story that we all grew up on. We were watching cartoons or VeggieTales. What's next? The fish. By the way, the fish is only two, two verses or two sentences in the story. And it gets like all the, 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 the yeah, it gets all the shine. It gets all the, the attention. The, the fish is like a footnote in this extreme story. So he gets swallowed up by the fish, which is, again, another extreme thing. Swallowed by a fish. Can we all agree that's not supposed to happen on your regular day? Okay? And while he's down there in the bottom of the fish, he prays, uh, 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 he has, I'm sorry, he has a uh, change of heart, right? After a few days, and then another extreme thing happens. It's kind of nasty, and it's kind of weird, and we kind of overlook it, but the fish vomits him up on the shore. It's just one extreme thing after the other. And then he has this change of heart, and he prays this beautiful prayer that means absolutely bunk because his heart isn't actually changed. And you'll see why I think this as we continue to read through it. He prays his prayer, and he finally agrees, Lord, you are God, and let's go. I'm going to go to Nineveh. So we, so we skip chapter 3, and we continue on, right? He says this in verse... Uh, sorry, so you skip chapter two, we go to chapter three, and we pick up on verse two. And the Lord tells him again, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I gave you. We're back at the beginning of the story again. And then verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to get through it. Some scholars even estimate that the, the population could have been over 100,000 people. At the time, that is that is huge. That is a significant number of people. It is a massive city. Just like take that in for a moment because what's about to happen next should shock you, okay? Because you know that he's going to like preach and they're all going to like repent. Over 100,000 people. It's a lot of repenting going on. Another extreme event. So he goes and he starts to preach and Jonah began by going, uh, uh, by going through the city and he starts uh, preaching this sermon, which in Hebrew is all of five words. This is him like phoning it in. You know, do you know what I mean by phoning in? Can I, does that make sense? Sometimes I have to check because like, there's a generational difference. You know, he's, he's doing the least amount of effort possible to just get by and do the thing that God asked him to do. Are you with me? Okay, all right, good. So he says this, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his whole sermon. Could you imagine me showing up tonight and being 40 days in Southwestern will be overthrown? And then I just walk off. Amen. And then you're all like, I'm converted. I'm convicted. That's it. That's what he does. He just goes around preaching this five-word sermon, and everybody is converted. It picks up here in verse 5. It says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth which is what you do when a, uh, a significant event happens in your life, right? When God shows up, when there's a theophany event that happens in your life, you're supposed to take it in. You're supposed to, to dwell on it. And, and that's, that's, that's where this whole practice of fasting comes from. Not necessarily you trying to like get God to do something for you, but you reacting to what God has already done for you. Whole different sermon. 
When Jonah's warning reached the king, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and covered himself in sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And then he proclaimed, uh, 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 he proclaimed all this in Nineveh. And then here's what's really interesting. If you don't believe that this is satirical, that this is supposed to be funny, look at what happens next. He says this, uh, do not let your people or animals, herds or flock uh, or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Even the cows are converted in Nineveh. Okay, you're supposed to laugh. Thank you. It's a crazy situation. The, the author is trying to get you to chuckle at how ridiculous it is so that you'll enter into, a, into the story and let your guard down. Now what happens after this is Jonah gets, he gets angry. And this is why I don't think that his conversion, his little prayer before was real. He gets angry. He, he gets angry at God for showing mercy to Nineveh. And in fact, he says this in chapter 4, but, uh, uh, but, Jonah, uh, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were going to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You're just a God that relents from sending calamity. He can't stand it. He wanted to see Nineveh burn. He knew that if he were to show up and preach the sermon that God told him to preach, even if it was only the five words, that they would repent and turn from their ways. And he didn't like that. He didn't think that they deserved the grace. Remember what we're talking about? The will of God. This is, why, this is why Jonah preaches a five-word sermon. It's why he wanted to be thrown into the sea. It's why he was at the bottom of the boat during the storm. And it's why he ran all the way to Tarshish in the beginning. He hates the people of Nineveh. Now, why? Why does Jonah not want to obey God's will? Doesn't he understand? Doesn't he see it? Well, here's what's going on. He's got legitimate beef with the people of Nineveh. They're a terrible people. Like, go ask your history professors about Nineveh and their practices. They would skin people alive. They would hang them up uh, and let them dangle their dead bodies uh, for, uh, just as a sign of what they're capable of doing, just as a deterrent. And who, were, who was the, the, the named enemy? Well, the people of Israel. Jonah hates Nineveh because it's done horrible things to him and his people. If we were to try and like come up with some sort of modern day equivalent, you've probably heard this from other pastors, the, the, the best modern day equivalent that we could probably come up to, which isn't modern day anymore, would be like calling them Nazis. What would you do if God told you to head over to Germany during World War II and preach a sermon of repentance to the Nazis? You wouldn't want that to show up on your resume, would you? Neither did Jonah. But could you imagine, could you imagine if God had the foresight and had made the plan, uh, uh, made, made the way possible for that to happen? 
Why are you the only one that's deserving of grace and not your enemies? They were truly terrible people. But the humor of this story allows us to enter into it, not realizing that the author is actually talking about you and me. We are Jonah. We run from the will of God and we argue with him. We often ignore what God is doing because we cannot fathom how he might want to do something that we don't. It doesn't comport. When I was uh, a kid and I went on uh, a mission trip, I was, I was elected to go. I was in seventh grade and my mom told me or actually, I found out from someone else, hey, here, you're going on the mission trip. I, my mom had already signed me up. And so uh, I, uh, you know, an awkward, quiet little kid in seventh grade, little, little me, uh, didn't know anyone other than uh, my grandfather who was going on the trip. And I end up uh, at a little tiny village somewhere in Mexico. And uh, our mission was to build a church and I knew nothing about what was going on because I was in seventh grade. And uh, I, I get there and I watch all the adults at the time, you know, all the, all the people that knew what was going on, doing all the work and getting everything done. And I was just like in awe, just like watching these people, these, these men and women of God getting things done. And they were like, uh, they were trying to get everything set up so that they could like lay the, the, the block, the brick or what do you call it, cinder block. Uh, to build this church. We were, uh, we were trying to get all the stuff set up, and this guy, his name was Big Frank. He's probably passed away by this point, but he had fingers the size of pickles. I remember he'd just pick up the block, and he would set it down perfectly. It was like no effort for him what, whatsoever, and it took like every ounce of strength for me to set it there. Anyways, I digress. We're here, and we're, we're trying to build this church, and after the first day, we make a lot of progress, and after that, we make none, because on day two, it starts to rain. And I mean rain. We know what rain is in Texas, but that, that kind of rain, like the pouring rain, but like it just didn't stop. Day two, all the time. The only time it did stop was for our meetings in the evening. We'd, all the people would come out, all the people from, from, the, from the community would come out to hear whatever the preacher was talking about that evening, and we couldn't understand it. So the people in the group would get together every, every evening, and we would be praying to God, and we would, we, they, they'd be begging him to stop the rain so that we could build the church, because after all, we were sent there to build the church. Are you with me? We were sent there to build the church, and on the third day, there was more rain. And then more people showed up, and we got more upset, even angry with God. The prayer started to take on a little bit of an edge, like you sent us all the way down here, and for what? what are, what's going on? I don't understand. We get all the way to the end of the week, and we weren't able to accomplish any of our goals. That church was not built. And we get back on the bus, and I remember watching all the people that were older than me get back on with their sad, dejected faces. And a person from the community comes out to just wave and say goodbye. And somebody from the group just apologizes and says, I'm so sorry that we weren't able to finish building the church while we were here. Uh, we, really, uh, we really regret not being able to finish this project. And the lady stops, it, stops, stops whoever it was that was saying that and said, oh, you, you don't understand. The reason people were coming out is because of the rain. We were in the middle of a drought. We were a farming community. They came out because they heard you brought the rain. To know the will of God 
is a very difficult thing, but it is also a very simple thing. You must be willing to humble your own heart and see what God is already doing around you. I don't know what your Tarshish is, but I know you have one. And this evening is your invitation to check in with God and wonder why you are running or refusing God's will in your life. My prayer is for you to be given your own change of perspective so that you can see where it is that he's wanting you to go and have the courage to humbly submit to it. The kingdom of God, Southwestern, is not Jonah. The kingdom of God is going to Nineveh. Grace and peace to you, Southwestern.